The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with Ellie Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Hello, this is Ellie, and welcome to Our Wild World. Over the last several episodes, my guests have been enlightening us on a wide variety of the issues that are all interconnected in that one little word, conservation. If you were asked to define that word, how would you? Conservation over the decades has grown to encompass much more than what that simple word would seem to immediately bring to mind. Conservation. To conserve. What are we conserving? Where? When? Why? And for whom or for what? Does the word bring to mind African lions or panda or polar bears? Does it bring to mind climate shift, waste management, air quality? Is it about green and alternative energy and air pollution and CO2 sequestration? How about deforestation or desertification? Cattle or sheep ratching or GMOs? What is the goal of conservation and how does it relate to what we do between the time we wake up and the time we go to sleep? Is it about saving resources for today or some distant future of a world we may never see? Who benefits from our individual conservation actions? The answer is all of the above and that we all benefit. From someone living in the outback of Alaska to the urban center of LA to the rural bushveld's of Africa or the rainforests of the Amazons and the tigers of India, we all benefit. Some of us consciously making effective conservation choices through our voting process or through how we use our water to the food we eat and how we shop. Some of us know exactly how we benefit, but there are those others who surely benefit directly from our choices and because of our actions, although they may not have voices or language or proximity to us to either speak of their losses or their gains. I'm referring here to the two sides of the earthly coin, the human reference and the non-human landscapes and animals that we affect. Why should we care today about whether or not we recycle, bring our own usable bag or to the grocery store or social network and share information about corporate conglomerates swallowing up our media advertising or right down to the individual goods we buy and consume? How does this relate to that concept that conservation is about singular issues? Conservation today is multifaceted, multilayered, nonlinear, and consists of a multitude of challenges, issues, and solutions that that all combine to make 
conservation happen? From the tangible that we can see, touch, or taste, to the intangible, that which we feel or know or which happens far, far from our backyards. That shifting of mindsets of what is under the umbrella of conservation means to shifting how conservation is accomplished in the real world, changing our future. Conservation happens in many ways, from getting your friends to tweet and Facebook about animal cruelty and abuse, to recognizing that the large globalized scale of industrialized food processing through concentrated food lots, to what happens to the water bottle one tosses out after drinking the contents, to what happens to all the byproducts once we, an individual, is done with our immediate use. So, conservation today is about globalization. It is about climate change, deforestation, desertification, communities that live far, far from you in a land or a country that you may never see, just as conservation for a villager in Africa or India or Russia makes choices that will affect us, though they may never know about it or us or see us or meet us during their lifetimes. We are at a point in our lifetimes, as communities and as individuals, the world over, that we are all feeling challenged by and a certain responsibility in the making of our lifestyle choices. As much as we may think that in terms of an us and them, conservation isn't about making enemies of the closeted corporate headquarters where it seems the buck never stops, but about us. You and me, the Maasai in Kenya or the Bushmen in Botswana, each and every one of us. That really is where the buck does stop. It's a long view look of the results of the choices we have made and are making now. No matter how disparate our needs from person to person or nation to nation, we all have the opportunity to learn to do things differently. And that, my friends, is what conservation is really about. On the individual level, from the cereal we buy to the energy choices we make to what we eat, kill, or grow. That while we feed ourselves, we are either enhancing or debilitating our Earth's processes. Conservation ranges from donating to the organizations that you're passionate about, from protecting wildlife and habitat, to changing how we do business, everything in between from taking out the garbage to securing our world heritage sites and wilderness, nationally and internationally. We all affect the outcome, the consequences of what we'll wake up to tomorrow, to every nation and continent and person and non-human on Earth. So, to say that you can't do anything to affect change is living in denial. Getting to where we are today took hundreds of years of individual actions and societal and lifestyle choices. All of these actions and reactions have added up over time to what we see out the door. No matter what or where that door we walk out of is, be it tent or urban high-rise, everything we choose or not choose to do makes a difference that goes far beyond any single person and ripples out beyond us into our landscapes and further to those who inhabit these landscapes alongside and with us. We all live here together, humans and non-humans alike. The one constant tie between us all is the planet we share, the deep understanding that we have only one Earth, and if we don't care, who the heck will? 
We humans in industrialized areas often think of the world as ours and ours alone, as in human-centric. But as our human population exponentially increases and the demands on Earth's resources face these increased and globalized pressures, we are invading those spaces and places that may not be meant for us, but instead meant for all the other life forms that provide the working, functional basis of keeping Earth alive and growing. The conservation mindset of today is the knowing that not everything everywhere is meant to be a supply train just for us humans. This brings me to reminding us about wilderness and the concept of untrammeled and the various decrees government agencies the world over have enacted to protect it. Why? Why do we need wilderness? To help understand why wilderness and wildlife and untrammeled, the concepts are so important to our human psyche, I urge you to look up the United States Wilderness Act, or the regulations that bind and are the guardians and guidelines of any World Heritage Site or wildlife protected area, whether it's here in the United States, Europe, or Africa, any nation, any continent. Our Wilderness Act is an absolutely beautiful piece of legislation written and crafted a half century ago by Howard Zanizer of the Wilderness Society. The Wilderness Act is known for its succinct and poetic definition of wilderness, and I quote, A wilderness, in contrast with those areas where man and his own works dominate the landscape, is hereby recognized in an area where the earth and its community of life are untrammeled by man, where man himself is a visitor who does not remain. It behooves us to remember that on September 3, 1964, when Congress passed and President Lyndon Johnson signed into perpetual legislation the United States Wilderness Act, it was because of our cultural and societal mindset and imaginations that we had the foresight to create the National Wilderness Preservation System, complete with a thorough and legal definition of wilderness in the United States. The Wilderness Preservation System and the Act itself resulted in the protection of 9.1 million acres of federal land, which today, 50 years later, we can now respect even more. The Wilderness Act, through over 60 drafts and eight years of work, stands today as the result of long, dedicated efforts by many to create a formal mechanism for designating wilderness. This year, 2014, marks the Wilderness Act's 50th anniversary. So take a moment to realize just how deeply this act has shaped the importance and the protection of our wilderness and for its further the world's wilderness for its own sake and further its contribution to the protection of wildness the world over. The Wilderness Act and the National Wilderness Preservation System is administered by several federal agencies. The National Park Service oversees 43,932,000 acres or 56% of the United States designated wilderness. The U.S. Forest Service oversees 36,165,620 acres, or 18% of our wilderness. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service oversees 20,702,488 acres, or 22%, and the Bureau of Land Management oversees 8,710,087 acres, or 2%. 
for a grand total of protected wilderness of 109,511,038 acres. The designation of land under the Wilderness Act are chosen from existing federal lands by determining which areas are considered to have the following criteria. Minimal human imprint, opportunities for unconfined recreation, compromise at least comprised, excuse me, are comprised of at least 5,000 acres and to have educational, scientific, or historical value. Additionally, areas considered as wilderness should have no enterprises within them or any motorized mechanized devices, meaning vehicles, motorbikes, or bicycles, which all by, also, by default, means roadless. The lands protected at wilderness are areas of our public lands. When Congress designates each wilderness area, it includes a statutory law, very specific boundary lines, and once a wilderness area has been added to the system, its protection and boundary can only be altered by another act of Congress. This places a heavy burden on anyone who, all through the future, may propose some change. Thus, this is why it's important to be involved in our political systems, to vote, to stay engaged, and be aware of what is happening to our wild world. This is why I encourage you to learn about these various agencies and why I bring guests and hosts from these agencies to speak on this program, because it leads us to a better understanding of our responsibilities as individuals of how our public tax dollars fund these agencies and what these agents, agencies are doing and with our money. I must refer here again to our very own federally funded, tax dollar funded, publicly supported, although maybe unknowingly, our killing agency under the Department of the Interior, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Wildlife Services. Tune into my previous episodes about the attacks that are being launched on our own wildlife and carnivores under the guise of protection, under the guise of wilderness, but really is geared toward very special interests. And the reason this bothers me so much is that we are paying for it. This is my point, to hammer home that what happens in Congress when it comes to what is going on across our public lands to our wilderness and our wildlife is very, very much our business and affects deeply our very human psyche. It takes all of us to protect and conserve, from supporting organizations like the National Resource Defense Council, to Defenders of Wildlife, to World Wildlife Fund, to the myriad smaller organizations dedicated to protecting our world's wildlife, chiefly our carnivores and predators, our apex, keystone, and umbrella species, the trophic ballet that makes life our life happen, not just because they're pretty to look at, but because they perform criti critical landscape and echo functions. It is all up to all of us to hold to that mission, to protect endangered species around the globe, from Africa to Antarctica. It is our business to stay on top of what's going on, especially during this era of the sixth mass extinction. Is this the heritage we want to leave for our future? I don't think so. So it, it's us, it is up to us to understand the convoluted web that weaves conservation today and how we can affect change. So as we celebrate 50 years of wilderness, I ask that you consider the future we are moving toward, a very near and very different future from that of just a few decades ago, a future where our human actions and manipulations are having deep core effects that we can no longer fully identify. 
but do know and have the ability to go about ensuring that wildness and wilderness are there, protected and secure, beyond our reach of exploitation during our ephemeral lifespans. These days of our busy, mechanized, and technocratic lifestyles, we live so far into the future that tomorrow and next week are already here. I'm reminded of what the Dalai Lama answered when he asked what surprised him most about humanity. He said, man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money. Then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health. And then he is so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present, the result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he is never going to die and then dies having never really lived. So it's well time we need to be considering where we will be in 5, 10, 20, 50 years from now and to prepare not just ourselves today for tomorrow, but our children who will have by then outlived us and moved into a world that we will never see. The actions we take today will lead them into that future, just as the actions we have taken on the wrong roads to getting here have led us to where we find our world and ourselves now. We all need to do our part in filling in the gaps. So stick with us. This is Ellie Weiss in Our Wild World. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and uh, listen to our archives and previous episodes. There is a lot of amazing information with fabulous guests there. So we're going to cut away to a break right now. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Listen for Trust Across America every week on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in as the show is often hosted by national experts in the fields of leadership, teamwork, management, corporate responsibility, accounting, governance, finance, organizational behavior, and sustainability, as well as companies that are applying strategies that are enabling them to be more trustworthy. Your hosts are trusted professionals with years of experience in applying strategies with today's leading organizations. Trust Across America is heard Wednesdays at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. 
Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Our Wild World. And as we were talking about right before the break, we're talking about doing our part to fill in the gaps. With that in mind, Wild Eyes Foundation and this program is trying to do just that. From the foundation side of my work, we're looking at conservation projects in East Africa over the past 10 to 15 years and assessing a variety of ways what worked, what didn't, and blending the observations, research, and knowledge into creating new solutions, some out-of-the-box thinking to put the pieces of the puzzle together. To do this, we need to communicate across the board. I've always said wildlife conservation is about people, but it's not only about talking to people, but listening to what they have to tell us, too. That's another reason for this program, to bring you the expertise and knowledge about what's going on around us and what we can do to fill in the gaps when and where we can. Whether it's contributing to large organizations or small ones, we can all take an action from supporting broad scope ability to multifunction across the many layers that make up the conservation large landscapes and species survival plans for our endangered wildlife or small targeted projects in In the end, it's all connected. From adopting an elephant to supporting research that models how species and landscapes and people interact, it all tells us how we depend upon and use and affect each other, like to understanding how zoonotic disturbances and ecological consequences affect us when the wild comes to us. A good example is the current Ebola outbreak. The question we must ask ourselves is, Are we prepared for the variety of ways we will be affected when nature bites back? What counts is that we find ways to work together toward finding specific solutions that are doable to address the gaps between what we know now and choosing the path of where we would like and where we need to be in the very near future. Again, think of our youngsters. What world will they have when they are your age? my age. We are filling in the gaps and finding new ways of fitting together the pieces of the puzzles of life. And this, by nature, must include ways to help folks benefit from making lifestyle changes and choices that promote healthy living, which of itself promotes a healthier planet and thereby raises the benchmark of a new definition of wealth toward a unity of humanity and purpose that nourishes itself to be better and whereby each of us has the pride and joy 
joy of that most magnificent of gifts, life. When we step outside of our personal worldview and decide to be present and mindful, we are helping each other to realize our potential, that we are a part of a much larger whole, and to accept that we are, are and in this together. And our most, most important task is to take responsibility and the time to care, really care and pay attention to what we are doing to ourselves and our earth, our wild world, and to respect the consequences of our actions and reactions and how this all comes full circle back to our loved ones and that which we love all around us. We humans are not unique in the ability or notion of theory of mind or of having deep emotions and societal connections of love. As we have so recently over the past few decades come to know scientifically that there are many other species who share this earth with us who have a similarly complex lives, just as important and just not human lives. When we choose to be mindful, it's practically impossible not to notice what our health and our communities to our pol politics and global relationships happen. Changes are happening rapidly, my friends, and we can't really afford the luxury to sit on the fence or wait for someone else to solve the problem. To make the most of this immense journey that is life evolving from across the eons of time or across the street or across the oceans, let's remember of the many species on Earth, we humans are amongst the youngest and the most recent to climb down from the trees. In a culture of fear is also the time to stand up and speak out, that in our own personal day, in our own personal voice, each of us, each day from dawn to dusk, has opportunities to do things differently, to nurture ourselves and our youth to participate rather than isolate, to socialize rather than antisocial through technology, and turn what may be a dismal outlook into an understanding that the world is what we make it. Pay it forward, is the old saying, has the wonderful tendency to grow. Through my various guests here, we learn that conservation and our living world is not a static thing. It is constantly in flux. We've just gotten a bit stuck here in a whirlwind of revolution of technology and industry, and that perhaps it's forcing us to move faster than we'd like. What we can do is slow down. Remember to take the time to smell the flowers, literally, and teach our children that it's important to notice these little things and to take part, to get outside, to not have every afternoon activity and daily schedule completely booked, to leave time for creativity. As Lauren Isley wrote in The Immense Journey, that if some far-off civilization had been watching across time and space to have seen Earth at her infancy, they would have seen her go from lifeless deserts to a green and golden glow. That it is water and the birth of flowers that make Earth what she is. From life starting at the muddy intersections where sunlight, water, and earth met, that life crawled ashore and rivers spread their fingers and plants began to grow.
as life evolved into more complex systems to produce seeds that could fly through the air to root on previously desolate lands and make use of the water that erupted around. This provided for ever more complex systems to evolve to fill in the new gaps, the new niches, the vast rich niches of life that evolves to fill in. We humans are just one of these evolving life forms. Now it's time to take part in moving us forward along our evolutionary journey and become the people we want to be. So remember to stop and smell the roses. They really do make this blue and green ball unique. And it's worth remembering that as we each take wake each morning that this life is special. We have a lot of work to do, but in doing it, we need to be aware of just how much has shifted and can shift over a relatively short time. Take in the big picture that is bigger than you or I alone, but has everything to do with our choices about how we live. By the time our five-year-olds of today are 60, we will most likely no longer be here to witness the magnitude of the shifts we have begun. As we move forward into these living, changing systems, from systematic failures to grand accomplishments, we will understand that the foundation and building blocks of our educational systems are failing to prepare us to meet the future. I had talked about Sir Ken Robinson's uh, TEDx program before, and I would suggest going again and listening to it. How education is killing our children's creativity. We are in need of creativity. As Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems with the same kind of thinking that created them. So we must start thinking out of the box, engage our minds, and our creativity, and we must nurture that. As you've all probably noticed by now, I am a very opinionated person. But to give these opinions some proper due, they are distilled over the course of many years of personal experience, research, fieldwork, and meeting and working with some of the best people on earth. I am fortunate to have been, one could say, to have been exposed to a combined hundred years of experiences. From tribal elders I've been honored to engage with, to scientists, journalists, and researchers. It's been an investigative journey of my own, this life. Add to that a voracious appetite to learn, read, and live with wildlife and nature for hours and hours on end. I've cultivated a good nose for good information and knowledge. I may be opinionated, but I'm also flexible. I retain the prerogative to change my mind as pieces to the puzzle expand my overall worldview. What I can say for certain is for those of us older than 20, we recognize the rapid changes and the quantum leaps we've jumped and the ability to imagine that we can solve our problems. Europe and the U.S. has had several hundred years to deal with industrial revolutions and the consequences. Life abounds, good, bad, and ugly. Many of the species around us have had a lot of time to learn all about us and yet continue to live amongst us despite who we are and how we treat the world around us. I think it's we who've forgotten how to live amongst them as we race around the world with an almost cruel whimsy and lack of wisdom that is beginning to rip apart the very fabric of what we know as life on earth, or perhaps better said, as we expect it. 
So here I am saying, hello, our wild world is telling us that our lifestyle is not sustainable. There's no point in adding so far because that's moot. What we have now is what we have and an amazing big brain to help us create what we can do for tomorrow. A wise man told me, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should. There is something to be said about the astonishing fact that there are so many forms of life uniquely adapted to survive, from the broadest to the narrowest niches, from the frozen arctics to the deepest oceans, and as many remain yet unknown to us. We continue to blithely glow along about our human expansion to the extinction of everything else. So, as you listen to this program today, I am attending the 30th anniversary of the Performing Animal Welfare Society, PAWS, of which Wild Eyes is a sponsor. The PAWS conference attests to just how much we do recognize today the magnitude of the changes and shifts that we are facing in our relationships to the non-humans around us and the animals we live with every day. In a three-day conference centered around the issues that arise as we continue to keep captive wildlife, we'll be having panel discussions from uh, covering a variety of issues from how we go about using animals in every facet of our days, from food to clothing to entertainment to family, to having some very pressing decisions to make that take into consideration all that we have learned about animals and their complex systems, emotionally, ecologically, and from a wide range of experts and conservationists, animal rights advocates to animal welfare, and in all roles of human society that will, by necessity, shape how we will engage in our relationships to our non-human fellow earthlings and, by default, each other. Organizations from around the world will be represented from zoos to sanctuary, to entertainment to law and concepts of personhood, from our amazing technological advancements and research to our ability to generate and animate via complex computer graphing and modeling systems. The panels will address the ethics, economics, aesthetics, and biological aspects of do we even need to use live animals for the purposes, science, medicine, food, entertainment, that we are using up to now and how we've used them up to now. So while I'm here at this conference, I'll be working toward future episodes of Our Wild World and gathering a variety of guests from the panel speakers, uh, as my guest hosts and experts from this pause conference, and the various fields and topics under discussion, and more about the shifts and changes in conservation and methods and models to meet the future. You can learn more about the PAWS conference at pawsweb.org. That's P-A-W-S-W-E-B dot O-R-G. It's a fascinating lineup. It's going to be a very busy schedule. Wild Eyes is a sponsor, as I said. We'll have a table here, and we'll be meeting a lot of people and lining up various bookings for upcoming episodes of Our Wild World. So I urge you to tune in as long as you're sitting there at the computer and listening to me today. Do some Google searches and check out some of the concepts that I've talked about today. What is conservation? Think about what it includes and think about what you can do every day 
and the choices you make that will make a difference for not just your future or not just the future of unknown children, but your future today, the quality of life and the planet that you want to live on. In the meantime, despite the challenges we face, it's important to remain hopeful, to remember that there is still a whole lot of life and magnificence out there. It's not gone yet. And while it's here, we have the chance to keep it here and do it differently and live on a world that is a little more harmonious than the one that we're doing right now. Now really is the time to learn to be an optimist. I saw a sign on the street the other day that said, an optimist is one who sees taking one step forward and two steps back more as a cha-cha, a dance. To me, and I hope for you, that we can see our journey more like that, a magical dance of immense proportions, whose stage ranges far beyond what our singular eyes can see, into an embrace that is far, far deeper, stronger, and larger, and can be more wondrous than we ever imagined. We have so many opportunities ahead to break out of the mold we have set for ourselves to date. There is a reason we grow up and grow old and live to pass the torch to the next generation. If we hadn't done that up to now, then we wouldn't be where we are. That's the whole point. It's what I've been saying all along. We are where we've taken ourselves and we have the ability to take ourselves where we need to be. From individuals like you and me to whole cultures and societies, communities, neighborhoods, the world is worth it, don't you think? Earth is hiring and we need all the help we can get from a creative, imaginative young minds, for they will be the ones running the show not so very long from now. So stick with us. We're going to head into a break. Find us on Facebook. Check out pauseweb.org. Check out www.wildeyes.org. And we'll be right back. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big. Scary. Beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The wild effect. It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. 
Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Boomers Rock Radio with Tom Mack is ready to entertain, enlighten, and educate. Our show is all about quality of life, fitness, mental health, nutrition, self-improvement, finance, and more. As you grow older, you may actually have more questions. Tom is here to help. He'll invite experts from many facets of health, business, and life to bring the answers to you. Make Boomers Rock Radio your weekly stop on the Voice America Variety Channel every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific. Join us and improve your life. You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. And welcome back. This is Ellie and our wild world. So, to bring this rather convoluted conversation full circle, here I am in sunny California, quite a switch from snowy Colorado, and I have a wonderful surprise ahead. I learned my good friend and colleague, Tony Fitzjohn, is also in town on business related to his work in Kenya and Tanzania and the George Adamson Wildlife Preservation Trust. In uh, the Mukamazi Rhino Sanctuary and the Lion Camp in Kenya, uh, the Rhino Sanctuary in uh, in, in Tanzania, Mukamazi, uh, where is the first successful rhino breeding and sanctuary in Tanzania, and Tony was also responsible for some of the first successful reintroduction of lions into habitats they once roamed, but have been since removed from. Tony, through the George Adamson Wildlife Trust, is also a Wild Eyes grantee. He's one of those amazing people that sees what needs doing and then goes about getting it done and inspiring others to do so while at it. In other words, he makes conservation happen. Tony did an episode with me here on Our Wild World not so very long ago, at least in the cosmic sense. Time just seems to move so quickly these days. So... Here I am in Burbank, sponsoring an animal welfare conference, and Tony is just a stone's throw away. The serendipity is a bit mind-boggling, so how could we possibly not hook up? Let me give a little background here of why I say this. The George Adamson Wildlife Preservation Trust was founded by Tony's idea to celebrate and continue George's work after he was killed. George and Joy Adamson's work was to take the captive lions that were used in the film making Born Free and reintroduce them into the wild to see if it could be done. 
It was. You can read up on any number of books and films, including Born Free and Walking with Lions, to learn more about it. So, rather than reiterate that history here, I just simply suggest doing a web search of all of the above, and you'll see where this is going. At the time, in the 60s and 70s in Kenya, so many of the protected areas suffered from severe lack of funding, personnel to monitor the vast areas, and thus often the parks were practically a personal supply ground of wildlife and easy money. Rhino were everywhere, as were elephant, but there was also an ivory and an, an, an insatiable ivory uh, appetite for ivory and for the money that the products of these living animals could make for those willing to take the chances in supplying both the legal and illegal wildlife trade. As an aside here, the episode last week with Peter Knights of Wild Aid enlightened us all to just how deeply entrenched and convoluted that trade is today, and that if it continues, it could well mean the extinction of elephant and rhino, which leads again to how to get people today involved in this concept of conservation, that it's not just about charismatic species and large landscape habitat, that it is about people and a societal will to live with and conserve both the habitat and the animals that they evolved with. Remember, these species have survived for millennia, but it's questionable whether they will survive us and our insatiable desire to consume them, whether it be for their parts and traditional medicinals, or for their meat in the form of game hunting, trophy, and bushmeat, or the competition that inherently exists between people and wildlife when we're competing for the same resources and land that we use to provide for our needs, such as cattle and sheep, agriculture, and so on. In the 60s and 70s, conservation was modeled and now known as generally protecting habitat, that as long as we had habitat, the species who lived in it would be secure. Conservation, our efforts, your goodwill and contributions succeeded. We have the habitat, our wilderness preservation system here in the U.S., to breeding facilities to an overall awareness that conservation meant securing the places and spaces that wildlife needs to live and do its thing. Well, we found out that isn't quite how it works. What's happening today is we are exploiting the charismatic species faster than they are capable of reproducing within their secure habitats. That as soon as they leave that security, they are fodder for poaching cartels or the hunter's bullet. Take a look at our own issues around wolves and bison once they leave our national parks. Previous episodes of this program addressed a variety of these various issues. So it's not just elephants and rhino and lions that need our attention and our willingness to let them live, but our very own North American wildlife, especially our carnivores. I urge you to turn, tune into our previous programs with Project Coyote or Predator Defense and the various researchers and experts that have been on the program to learn more about our very own human-wildlife conflicts. So, where this story picks up from is, upon George, George Adamson's death in, the, in 1989, he was murdered, Kenya was facing rampant poaching wars and high political corruption. 
The wildlife in the northern area, Meru National Park, and George's Camp was a small unprotected area off to the side of Meru, a dry, parched, arid land that no one was much interested in. And as warden of Meru, George had the time, the place, and the opportunity to see if captive human-habituated lions could be rehabilitated and returned to live wild lives. So now I come full circle back to this pause conference and Tony, all happening to be in the same place on earth at the same time. To recap just a bit further, Tony, a wild and wandering 20-something-year-old, happened up in Kenya and ended up working for the next 21 years with George Adamson and became his protege and took up where George left off. Remember the film Born Free and Elsa the Lion? Okay, that may be a bit before some of my listeners' time, so recall instead Christian the Lion, the memorable YouTube video sensation of the long-lost greeting between the two young men and a lion. A highly emotional moment to be sure, which also tells us a whole lot about lions and what they remember. These two young men who raised this cub finally managed to get Christian returned to the wild with the help of governments and people. Recall that Kenya was a colony of the United Kingdom, but that typically dealt with people and politics, not dealing with a lion cub, who was born from animals captured from the wild, put into a London zoo, then bred, from which the surplus cubs were not needed and therefore sold to Harrods, a department store, for them to be put on display and to sell for the Christmas holiday gift season. The two young men were horrified at the thought of a lion in a department store, so they bought him, took him home, and proceeded to raise them in the basement of their London flat. As the lion grew older, bigger, and more capable of doing harm and needing a lot more space and room to grow, it became a dream, a goal of the young men to see if Christian could be returned to Kenya to live out his days wild and free. With the help of Will Travers and Virginia McKenna, who acted the parts of George and Joy in the film Born Free, who also happened to come upon Christian in the basement of the London shop, the foundation, the George Adam, the foundation was laid to get Christian to Kenya, to Kenya, to George, to see if it were possible to take the city out of a lion. As it turns out, it was possible, and it was at this time that Tony joined up with George. It was Tony who helped Christian find his wild roots, and Christian helped Tony find his purpose in life. Is anyone seeing the connections here? So, Tony and I have managed to eke out an hour to get together, a surprise visit to the PAWS conference on Sunday, when the panel topics for the day are the issues around keeping big cats in captivity, breeding them, zoos, sanctuary, and their use in our media and entertainment. Now, if you followed all of that and you know me, then you'll know I simply couldn't resist pulling this all together. Hopefully, I'll be able to snag some of the conversations that result of this somewhat chance encounter where members and supporters of the Born Free Foundation will be present. I'm not quite sure if there will be fireworks or firestorms, but as usual, there will be something, and I'm happy to be in the middle of it, and just as happy to tell the stories of what happens in our wild world, whether it be Burbank, California, or the bush of Africa. 
So to wrap this up, we're not living in black and white times anymore. Some call it shades of gray, but I put forth that we are living in a world of millions of colors and that color lights our souls. So until next time, remember that the only world we have is this one and that there's millions of worlds within this one for us yet to know. It's the only one we have, so let's do the best we can. On that note, I'm ending today's program a little bit differently, with some music. This music helps me to remember all of this, and I hope it does the same for you. So until next time, this is Ellie and Our Wild World. When you take that jump You don't feel the fall Hope when the water rises You build a wall Hope when the crowd screams out You're screaming your name Hope if everybody runs You choose to stay You fall in love And it hurts so bad
thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.